Yes, hello there and welcome to Join Up Darts. This is an archive show, which means that I'm not here at the moment, but it's, it's all pre-recorded. But it does give you just a glimpse of what's been happening on the iTunes number one business entrepreneur show since we launched. Now, this show is different and you'll hear laughter, tears, shocking stories, real life turmoil, and of course, the kind of success blueprint that will change your life forever. If you want the dream life, then all the answers are here. Now, these are the old episodes, so to get right up to date listening to the latest stuff, then simply search Join Up Dots, click subscribe, and never miss an episode again. And of course, over at joinupdots.com, you can get instant access to our free 12-day podcasting course or loads of amazing free downloads to kickstart your own entrepreneurial journey, all made by my own fair hand. So let's get on with the show. You've got a lot of catching up to do after all. Enjoy. When we're young, we have an amazing, positive outlook about how great life is going to be. But somewhere along the line, we forget to dream and end up settling. Join Up Dots features amazing people who refuse to give up and chose to go after their dreams. This is your blueprint for greatness. So here's your host, live from the back of his garden in the UK, David Ralph. Yes, hello everybody and welcome to episode 198 of Join Up Dots. I'll be honest with you, I feel a bit emotional tonight. This lady has been probably the most difficult lady I've had to tie up for the show. She has been lovely all the way through, but for some reason our calendars didn't link and I couldn't work out how my time was her time and her time was my time. And then last night we had to move the clocks as well. Why we do that across the globe, I don't know, which threw us out again so we have battled through everything and when I pressed record and she was on the other end I couldn't believe it I almost burst into tears and um, we've had a little chat and she's going to be absolutely great because she is the queen of Kaching, a lady who literally knows how to change the mindset of all of us to become profit attracting experts. Her motto is you can't grow your business without growing yourself. She advises business owners on how to translate their technical expertise into sustainable growth profits. But it's not just about businesses as she is also the go-to resource for solopreneurs too, those guys and ladies looking to build a lifestyle built around their income production. And it's that experience to relate to all walks of life that has changed her life completely since taking the leap of faith and going alone. She's an author and advisor on the topic of attracting high paying clients and growing your business revenues with integrity. Along with her book, Wealthy You, Seven Sacred Wealth and Wisdom Lessons, her sales and marketing tools have been used for 20 years to dramatically improve, well, pretty much everyone she meets. But the interesting thing about her is although she can teach us all how to increase the wealth coming our way. She also had those same self-limiting thoughts that we all have. Money should be hard to earn. Rich people are greedy. And to get rich, you have to get dirty and do things that, well, aren't congruent with our own morals. She had to battle through and realise in her heart of hearts that this wasn't true. So how did she change these negative ideas that were so deeply rooted within her? And how did she take the talents that she was demonstrating daily in her corporate life and bring it all together to form her own company? Well, let's find out as we bring on to the show to start joining up dots the one and only Marilyn August. How are you, Marilyn? I'm great, David. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. 
It's been an emotional roller coaster, hasn't it? Getting us together. It's been, it's been like one of those blind dates that hasn't quite worked for some reason. I've gone into the bar and you're not there, and I've you've got, but but we finally pulled it together, and it was it was an emotional. It was like the angels were singing when I pressed the Skype button and you said hello at the other end. And the angels were working with me as I thought, oh my goodness, this will never work, and I kept. Uh, walking my own talk as I decided that this was going to work. It was very important that the two of us talk today. And it is. So So, what is life for you today? What's it like for you at the moment? Because I'm sitting in darkened England because we've changed the clocks now. So, suddenly it's pitch black everywhere. And I imagine you're sitting in California. It's lovely sunshine everywhere. Is that the image? Well, we're getting a little bit of overcast here, but I certainly can't con- complain about the weather we've had some beautiful weather the last few days and yes it is the middle of the afternoon here and the wonder of technology has put us together this just amazes me that we are actually speaking as if we were in the same room so the world is shrinking it it amazes me though Marilyn and I, I, I talk about this so many times I I don't think I will ever get used to the fact that I can press a button and speak to somebody and not even just speak to them. You know, we haven't got video on at the moment, but I could actually see you at the same time for the price of internet connection, which we pretty much have got anyway, if you've got like Netflix and all the other things that we stream. And it, it just gives you opportunities for, for people out there. And it's our core audience who are the, the, the guys who are in careers and they suddenly get that vibe or maybe not suddenly it grows up on them where they don't really want to be an employee anymore, but they're not sure what to do. They're not sure how to make money. God, with the Internet, you, you couldn't do it 15, 20 years ago, could you? Um, no, you could not. And the world of work has changed so dramatically, even in the last 10 years, that the uh, options to start your own business, for some people, it's no longer an option, it's a have to. Did you feel that strongly? You, you meet so many people that really know that in their heart of hearts are, well, like me now, I think in my heart of hearts, I'm unemployable. I don't think I could go and work for somebody else anymore. <laughs> Well, that's a very interesting word, unemployable, uh, because I do think that after you've had control of your own time and control of your own destiny, that having some bureaucratic, uh, patriarchal, old model determine your, uh, you know, do you make it or break it, I think it's very difficult for people. And the other thing that technology is doing, realistically, for a lot of people, their jobs just don't exist. And more studies have been done than not that show that, you know, companies can get more done with less people. And so the the jobs aren't coming back. And the jobs that we haven't even thought about um, are still to be invented. So I think the computer, uh, the internet is one tool, one technology, but more importantly, it's what's inside a person's heart. What drives them? What wakes them up in the morning? What do they care about? And I think that is the difference. In fact, over the years, I've worked more and more with uh, commissioned salespeople who are basically almost self-employed and business owners. And the mindset to start with is very, very different than the employee mindset. There's something internal driving people 
to become more than they were yesterday or better than they were and take risks i mean this is this is not like a steady paycheck every week it's a whole different mindset is is it for for somebody like you is that invigorating or is that scary because obviously you're entrepreneurial and so your paycheck as you say could be really good and nothing at all the next month does that scare you or does that just give you your hustle muscle a bit of a flex and yes i'm going to go out and make it work well david i you ask a very profound question and i'll give you a profound answer the answer is yes to both i have had my sleepless nights uh, because I do this work around psychology of money. I've had to de- dig into my own fears, my own trust, and I have found that when money is skinny, it tends to paralyze me and also at the same time tends to motivate me. So it's the ability to live in the paradox of possibility and fear at the same time that I think really is the key that people don't understand. You know, you get a lot of easy concepts. Well, face your fear and do it anyhow. Well, you're not alone with me at 2 o'clock in the morning wondering why the bill, how the bills are going to get paid. Or if a client, which just recently happened to me, who was right at the brink of breakthrough, she got scared. And I could not help her with her fear. She decided that everything I did with her was wrong and she needed to quit. Well, income I thought was coming in that month was suddenly gone. And that's where faith and trust and then the left brain, okay, where's my pipeline? What do I do now? How do I handle this? But I will lie to you if I said that I never never have fear. It's a matter of managing the triggers of the fear and there's a certain you know there's a certain concept of surrender it's getting to the point where what you thought was important wasn't important i find that i make by decisions different than other people make by decisions i'll make a by decision for my business before i'll make it for my personal personal life I just had that experience not too long ago and realized that my priorities are different uh, and what's important to me. So it's a rather long answer, but it's a very profound question. I think it's a lie if people say they don't feel the fear. And sometimes it's difficult to do it anyway. I was speaking to a chap last night that said, basically, he goes by the, the, the sort of acronym of fear, false evidence appearing real. And he said, you know, if, if somebody threw a lion into the room and I was in the room, you've got every right to feel fear because it could actually destroy you. But it's the fears that actually, if push comes to shove, you can actually do something about it and you can take control and you can hustle you can make connections you can do phone calls or whatever you needed to do then that is something that shouldn't be classed as fear but it is the thing that stops people moving now this show was really created for i suppose actually marilyn it was created for me i made a leap of faith and while i made a leap of faith i felt that i had to do something to kind of prove that i could do something it was it was more me 
wanting to prove to myself than prove to the world. But it's changed now and I realise that there are so many people out there that's listening and they email me and they contact me and they can't even get that first step going because of the fear, the fear of the false evidence appearing real. Ah, if I leave my job here, I'm not going to get any money and I'm not going to be able to do this and I'm not going to be able to do that. They don't want to lose what they've got so they don't actually take that risk. Did you find that? Well, my situation was a little bit different. I want to speak to this acronym because I'm very familiar with it. But first, I'll answer your question. I got what I call now call the divine kick in the butt. I had had uh, fired from my very last corporate training job. I had had many uh, jobs uh, as a corporate trainer, everything from a technology trainer to a dealer trainer. I installed software systems. I did management training. I wrote programs, and I just never seemed to fit. And I was working with the teacher at the time, and we were developing what became my four- and six-week seminar based on his work and eventually became my book. And and my teacher said to me, well, Marilyn, when are you going to start doing this? And I said, I'm, I'm just not ready. I, I don't know the material. I, I, you know, and all this fear was there. I had all my stories and excuses. I say, just, I, you know, give me a little more time. Let me work with you a little longer. I don't even know who's going to show up and how I'm going to do this and gosh, all that. And then I got fired two weeks before Christmas and I just was in business for myself, knowing absolutely nothing about being in business. And I I was very surprised to find that people found me and was, was doing my seminars. I'm not going to say that it was all rosy, but sometimes when you have an intention or an inner desire or a purpose, uh, the world will take will take the uh, leap of faith for you. <laughs> and I like to say some things are beyond choice. And I believe that what I do is beyond choice. I want to go back to fear. I know this acronym very, very well. And I think one of the... Um, and I don't, I don't know if this is true for everybody, but to deny that the fear is there, there, I think keeps people stuck. And fear is a fear and worry are an inability to control the future. So that person says that says I don't want to lose my job. How do they know they're not going to get the divine kick in the butt the way I did? particularly two weeks before Christmas, Hmm. called into the presence office and thank you very much and goodbye and here's a week's severance. So I do think there's a bit of planning, a bit of setting aside some money. I if I had something to do different, I probably would have liked to know a little bit about more about business than I did. And so embracing that fear and dancing with it. So that you're, as one of my seven lessons says, so that you make reasonable and rational financial decisions. Does that make any sense to you? Well, it, it, it does. It does. And so what you're basically saying is that you can actually manage that fear by actually transitioning. You, you can make a plan before it becomes 
the, the final thing when you have to take that leap of faith. And some people do take that leap of faith and they just jump and try and make it up. I was never that kind of guy. I, I, <laughs> I created, as I call, a slide of faith where over five years I at least could cover my bills. And that gave me the opportunity to do that. But do you think that is the way to do it, Ben? That you, you accept the fear and you work around the fear until you're not scared of it and then you move on to the next stage? I think that's absolutely right on track. And you said it so brilliantly. Uh, It's easy to say you shouldn't feel the fear or feel the fear and do it anyway. I love what you did. I love how you made a plan. You you were realistic and, and a visionary at the same time. And I often advise people to write their plan in the present tense as if they're already doing it. So if they want to leave their corporate job and start a business, form follows function. What are you contributing? What are you bringing forth? What drives you? What gifts and talents do you believe you are blessed with that you're not able to express because you're in an environment that doesn't appreciate them? And then I would definitely write it all down and make a transition plan and like people, you know, you hear about actors and actresses all the time and they have their day job and then they transition. So I like the word transition and that allows the fear. You put a fear in, you put the fear in a little box and you can take it out every once in a while and say, oh, okay, I'm still afraid and I'm doing it anyhow. But embracing the fear, understanding that hidden emotions, repressed emotions can come and hit you at the at the time you least expect it. You can be triggered, you can be making a million dollars and still be afraid. I've had clients like that. Still fearful. That was one of the fascinating things to me when I first started doing my seminars is to find out that the amount of money that a person had made absolutely no difference in their fear factor. I had people that were making six and seven figure incomes. In fact, I worked with a family where seven children, all with trust funds, that would the interest on the trust fund would be very comfortable for most people. And there was so much fear and dysfunction in that family. And they thought it was the money, but it really wasn't about money. But that was one of the things that has fascinated me over the years. The amount of money makes no difference. The fear, the fear is there, fear of loss fear of doing something wrong, fear of squandering it, all kinds of fear is there no matter how much money they have. And, and, and when I first realized that, when I first discovered that, I was, I, wait a minute, what's going on out here? If I had all that money, I'd be so happy and, you know, and what's there to be fearful about? And then I found out that it's all relative. So if I'm going to be afraid and have stinky thinking about money, I can have it with a dollar. I can have it with a million. I I had an email, and I hope this lady doesn't mind me reading this out, but it it came through to me last night, and um, it really touched me because I could just sense what this lady was feeling. It's it's a lady called Tara, and if you're listening, Tara, thank you so much. But um, I'll read out the email. I feel a bit guilty, actually, but she said to me, David, your podcast is wonderful. It sometimes feels like you're speaking directly to me. I'm so ready to start my own gig. I just don't know exactly what that is. I'm aware of all the common themes of a successful entrepreneur, including but not limited to 
taking the first step. So I recently decided my first step was to send an email to someone I admire, and she's obviously listened to quite a lot of my shows. I think you described doing so similarly after a long night of drinking. Yes, I did actually do that. Step <laughs> one, check, keep up the fantastic work. And when, when that came through to me last night, it, it was that I'm so ready to start my own gig. I just don't know exactly what that is. And that that's not fear, that, is it? That That's her eager no. to take it on, but just can't find her own passion. How, how do people find that passion? How do they find the thing that lights them up? Because to me, Marilyn, you, you seem, away from all the money in the business, you seem to be a people person, and it's the dealing with people. You like knowing what makes people tick. That's your passion, isn't it? I... You, you got me. You nailed me. I, it, it feeds my soul to see somebody like this woman who, whose heart you touched, who really wants to take the next step. For me personally, I looked back at my history, at what had been painful for me, what I, you know, from childhood on, what had been painful. I didn't start my business originally okay, today I'm going to start a business. I started my business. It became a business because I wanted to do this work first and foremost for me because of all the pain and hurt in my life. I was thinking about a lot of people who have taken their pain, their hurt, their trauma in their life and turned it into their passion for serving good. For me, there is nothing more maybe health but health and financial stress go together. Uh, they've now proven that. I could have told them that 20 years ago. It, it hurts my heart to see a person not live up to their potential. Now, on the practical side, for this young woman, what I might suggest for her, there's a wonderful clarity exercise that I use with my client that I'm going to share with you, and she might want to do this because, again, form follows function. And what I've had people do, even for looking for a new job, is to take a piece of paper, and it's very simple and very um, profound exercise. Take a piece of paper and divide it into three columns. And the heading of each column, the first column is mental, the heading, and the second column is spiritual, the heading, and the third column is physical. And under each column... They, it's kind of a st- stream of consciousness writing. So under mental, they would f- write all the things that feed their mind, what's important to them. So for me, at the top of the list, you would find a variety of work that's very important to me. M- what feeds my soul is, like you said, knowing what makes people tick, helping them transition, transform. Under spiritual, it's I put my moral values, my spiritual beliefs, at the top of my list would be integrity. And under physical, and I did this when I started my business, under physical it would be what serves me, my physical body. So, for example, a lot of very, very famous speakers spend most of their lives on airplanes. They go from one place to another. They drop in, they drop out. They do a speech and they leave. That doesn't work for me. Number one, I don't want to live my life on the airplane. And number two, I don't like working just on the surface with people. I like to get to know people. So I might do a seminar and then do some coaching if that person wanted additional work. 
but I'm not in there to entertain. And so on my list, you would see uh, reasonable travel. I will travel, but I don't want to live on an airplane. So that's physically what suits me and how how far I drive, for example. So she might want to start looking at the qualities and characteristics of who she is and what's important to her in her life, call it values clarification. And I have a feeling that the form that this would take will emerge for her and she will figure it out and it may be a business where she is in the helping professions. It may be a retail business. It may be anything. But right now, she isn't clear on what she wants to contribute. It's, it's so hard, isn't it? It's so hard for everyone. You know, I, I, I'm doing this now. And absolutely to my core, I think, I, I, I just hope I'm doing this in 15 years time or 20 years time. I absolutely love it. But even when I started doing this, it was a fluke. I just didn't really know. I was I was classic case of trying to get away from pain. And they say that you either go away from pain or towards pleasure. And mm-hmm. I was purely trying to get away from pain to something that I could do easily. And once I started doing it, it wasn't just the fact that it was easy. It was something that I absolutely loved as well. And I kind of thought, oh, my God, I've, I found it. This is what they say. You find your passion. You never have to work again. I could do I could do 20 episodes a day. And, you know, I love every single minute of it. But that, that lady, Tara, she, she doesn't seem to be in pain. She doesn't seem to be, in, you know, going towards pleasure. She just doesn't know. And that's the hardest thing of all, isn't it? I think so. I think not knowing and the lack of clarity. Uh, I'm very surprised that people lack clarity, focus, and direction. And I would recommend to her that she spend some time doing the internal work of getting connected with who she is and what she wants to bring forth. When I hear you do this interview I c- and listen to many of your shows, I cannot imagine you do any- doing anything else. You are natural at this, and that's another thing she should look at. What is she naturally? What are her gifts? What are her talents? What have people said about her? That's another thing I've had clients do is find out what your friends have said about you, find your coworkers. What do they say? that you contribute and I did have a process I did have a process that I used in my um, seminars where I would help people define their gift but that doesn't to start a business that doesn't seem like that's putting form before function Mm. and you put function before form and I would encourage her to look back at what's been painful I think she has a lot of internal work to do before she takes that leap of faith. Well, what was but that is not fear. No, She's absolutely. She's not dealing with fear. What, what, what was painful in your life? You mentioned it a couple of times. And with, with, with all our emotions and our sort of situations we find ourselves in, it makes us who we are. So what, what was it that's made you who you are today? Well, I could start with my birth, but I think for sake of time, I'll just simply say that I was not expected to survive. I was not expected to live. I was premature. 
and I've traced this back several generations, but my earliest memories were of my mother and father arguing about money. Money was always a problem. I am a child of immigrants. They had a ma-pa grocery store. They worked the 12-hour days, seven days a week, and there was never enough money. My mother did, I had every dysfunction about money you can imagine. My mother snuck money from my father. Don't tell your father. She, we, everything was agony. Every purchase was agony. And yet they sent me, you know, I had to go to college. That was, you know, that's the immigrant mentality. There wasn't any ifs, ands, or buts. I also had to be a school teacher, which at 19 years of age, I knew that that was not a good fit for me. But it was, in my mother's mind, depression-era mother, was it was safety and security. So there was going to be no money for college unless I did what she said to do. So I've been controlled by money. And then fast forward, um, I supported my ex-husband. My money, my marriage ended over what appeared to be money with him not telling me the truth. Uh, I was emotionally abused. I was never hit. But I, I used to say that I would have left my husband a long time ago, but I had to support him. And I tell, I'm in my, this edition of my book, I did walk out of my marriage with a close on my back. And that's probably where you're, I'll start crying. With a close on my back, borrowing a car. I lived in Chicago at the time, and I had very little money. And I was leaving my beloved dog and a man who yelled and screamed at me and lied to me and I packed a borrow car and I found a hotel on Division Street where I could pay by the week. That's how naive I was. I was a suburban girl woman, you know, commuting to downtown Chicago for work and I didn't know there were such places that you could pay by the week. And I ignored the strange people in the hallways. I had very little money till payday. So money has always been a problem for me. And of course, I assumed I was the problem. And I was sitting in that cheap hotel with plastic on the sheets with a hateful note from my soon-to-be ex, two boxes in the clothes, crying my heart out. And I said, what's wrong with this picture? I have a um, master's degree. I have a good job. And I have no money. And that was the beginning of looking at a solution what was the matter with me that I was living this deprived, scared, deeply in debt from my marriage, uh, and yet on the outside it looked great. You know, I had a nice job, training manager, uh, everything looked fine. And I thought, really did think I was the only person in the world who had this problem. Everybody else's life looked fine. I was the only person 
who was hoping they had enough money to pay for food until payday. So, so were you not naturally a fighter then? Was this a moment when you suddenly started swinging? It was a moment of recognition first, and it was a moment of really the beginning of the transformation of me educating myself. And it really was about two years later when I moved to California that I began this journey to what I call the depths of my soul, to expose the unconscious beliefs, to expose the dysfunction. It became a passion and a mission of mine, almost like yours, almost by accident, now that I think of it. It was that divine kick in the butt that said, you don't fit in in corporate America. You just don't fit. You're never going to keep a job. And of course, my family, which shall we won't talk about too much, to this day thinks I'm crazy and did not approve and was not very supportive. So yes, I guess you would say I'm a fighter and it has to start with yourself. I mean, David, look at your story. It has to start inside yourself if you're going to ride the waves and, and where life takes you. And that's, I think, the definition of a fighter. I'd never thought of myself. Now, I'm going to... I, I paid thousands and thousands of dollars to many, many teachers to explore what's going on with me inside until I realized that maybe I wasn't the only person in the world that maybe had a few negative beliefs about money. It's fascinating, it's isn't it? Right Yes, it's finding the right teachers, the right mentors. Uh, to this day, the man who was my first mentor, whose name I'll mention because I think he's amazing, his name's Nicky Nimroff, who believed in me, who I went to him with this idea. I said, Nikki, your work could be applied to money. I want to do, do this seminar. I want to do this program. This was a man that I taught, worked with for four years. People, it's another thing. People think this is instant gratification. Not at all. It's commitment. It's courage. It's determination. And then it's contribution. Well, so me, I use C's a lot. Let, let's play something. It's, it's by, it's by the, 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 well, he's iconic. It's Rocky Balboa. But it's such a powerful statement. And it says so much about what we're talking about here. This is Rocky. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. And that says a lot about your life, isn't it? You're in that room. You've taken hit after hit after hit. But for some reason or other, you realize that it's up to you to actually fight back and take control and move on. And once you actually start doing that, then you do realize that there's opportunities around you. It's, it's that, that unwillingness to actually look around and swing and move the mud that, that bogs us all down. That leaves everybody in limbo land. But once you do start fighting back a bit, you suddenly realize that there are opportunities that you've never seen. And you found that mentor and you started moving towards a better life that you wouldn't have seen unless you started taking action, would you? No, and I think that 
segment you played from Rocky Balboa is probably the most profound words that were ever said on the journey to wealth and wisdom. And that's why I include wisdom. That was profound. The getting up again, fighting back, looking at another direction, and and choosing your mentors and your teachers well, and particularly these days. And even Warren Buffett, all anybody you study after study after study has shown these people. When you talk to these these immensely successful people, with one of the first things they'll say is they didn't do it alone. They had a mentor. They had a teacher. They had a coach. We are too close to our own forest to see our trees. Having that outside person that believes in you. When I gave this idea to Nikki and I said, you know, I'd like to do this. He says, yeah, you can do it. You can do it. I think you'd be really good at it. Let's work together and change this and change that. And I remember um, profoundly when we first started doing the program, there was a segment of it that was very important that I just could not get because this is a facilitated program it's not a lecture and I remember Nikki saying to me that I was the only person in the room that knew I was str- that had done this before everybody else thought it was great I was the only person whose critic and I happen to have a mean vicious critic was telling me I wasn't doing it right so it's also calming that critic voice that we all have and sometimes it's so loud the person to tame it for us is outside of ourselves. And that that old critic, they'll come and sneak up at you when you least expect it, particularly when money is tight. It's funny. Oh, I, was, I, was, I was talking about this the other night. I was in a pub and uh, I used to be a financial trainer and it was a leaving do. So I went back and sort of met a load of my old colleagues and they were saying, oh, we, we miss you doing the training in the office. You know, oh, it was so enjoyable. It was so this and so that. And I was quite honest with them. I used to say, no matter how good the feedback I got, I never quite believed it. I always felt mm-hmm. like I'd missed a beat or I could have done that slightly better. And they were saying, no, it was great. It was great. You know, it's exactly what we wanted. And I, oh. and even though they were saying it to my face, that inner critic, as you were saying, was still kind of going, yeah, but you would say that, wouldn't you? you, you you're going to say that because <laughs> it's, it's in front of me. Why are they saying it? I don't know why they're saying it. But you can't get rid of that, can you? And I, I, I bet even like Richard Branson and, and the real uber successful have still got that inner critic where they stand up and they do a presentation or they stand up and they do something or they go into new environments and they beat themselves up and so i'll tell you what marilyn this takes me back to i don't know episode 88 this chap once said to me his dad used to say life is gonna beat you up so if you want to beat yourself up put down the bat and pick up a feather <laughs> Now that, that's that, brilliant, isn't it? That's great. That is brilliant. And what a wonderful thing to have a, a father that says that to you instead of a father who will take the bat literally or figuratively and tell you you're not enough, you're not good enough, you don't deserve this. Uh, yes, I do think the critic is with us. The, the issue, the self-awareness is the important part. So sometimes I have conversations with my critic now because because he's gotten very subtle. And another thing, so you lighten, I lightened up my critic. Um, with many of my clients, we have them name the critic so they can, they can discuss things with their critic rather than have their critic run their lives. Most people don't know that their critics are running their lives. And that's the problem is we don't know. If a person that is 
amazingly, what we would call amazingly successful, their internal prick triggers have probably been dealt with at some level so that they get quieter, more subtle. And one of the most, one of the best things to do is laugh at it. I mean, I had one coach who, when I was complaining about my weight and said, I just got to get this weight off. I got to get it off. She said, oh, I know everything in your life is going fine because you only get to your weight when you're, your critic only gets to your weight <laughs> when everything else is working just fine. So she would be very happy that I was upset about my weight because she knew everything else was going well and the critic just needed something to feed on. It's the end of the list, isn't it? You, you find it anything is. you can do. I wonder, I wonder why we do this, though. This is, you know, this is interesting stuff to me. Why we do, you know, I, I don't want to talk about myself all the time, but I'm going to talk about myself because it's just uh, well, uh, go right ahead. at the forefront of my mind. But... You, you, I made a decision to put myself out there and do these shows. And at the very beginning, I really didn't know what I was doing. I was just trying to do them to my best of my, of my ability. And I think I've got better and I've got better. But I still can't go, yes, I'm happy with it. I still kind of think to myself, no, I've got to get better at this. I've got to get better at that. I've, I've never once in 200 episodes found a position when I feel relaxed and I'm enjoying the process. There seems to be that kind of artistic element that I'm striving for, which maybe I'm never going to achieve. Maybe the the vision of the perfect episode or whatever is never going to be good enough for me. It's never going to be out there, even though people like Tara will send lovely emails to me and you will say beautiful things. I've still got this vision of what I'm trying to achieve and I'm never really going to achieve it. Wonder why I'm doing that. Well, there's two parts of that. One is striving and improving and learning. I mean, entrepreneurs, that's why my motto is you've got to grow yourself to grow your business. Entrepreneurs are lifelong learners, whether it's book learning or with a teacher, coach, uh, looking at where the, the broadcasting go the way you wanted it to go. I would be disappointed if I wasn't a lifelong learner. I'm still reading other people's books. I'm very choosy about who I, you know, follow and don't follow. I'm not pulled in 17 directions right now because I've really honed down on who I who I trust. So there's two parts of this. One is that part that is just awesome that is striving to go be better and to work the broadcast better. But the other part of you and that little nasty critic that gets quiet perhaps has a bit of a fear of success. And in my experience, I've seen fear of success being bigger than fear of failure for most people. It came as a shock. But I would wonder, David, if you have a vision of what it would look like when you were at that pinnacle of success. So if you'd like to talk about fear of success a little bit, I've really dived into this because I think it's a nasty, uh, nasty block barrier that most people don't know they have. I, I, I think you've hit the nail on the head, to be honest. And I remember an afternoon where I'd been trying to get the audience figures up. And to begin with, it was crickets. I, I wasn't getting anything. And then suddenly it started taking off. And I should have been excited. But 
I was just kind of fascinated why they were suddenly going up. <laughs> and then it got to a point where it was really, you know, really high compared to sort of other shows out there. And I remember one afternoon sitting with my wife and generally I'm, I'm kind of like I am now. And she said to me, what's the matter with you this afternoon? I went, oh, well, I don't know, just something on my mind and stuff. She said, well, what is it? And I went, that the show, the show's becoming really successful now. And she said, well, that's great, isn't it? And I went, I don't know. I don't know if I can provide that much value. I don't know if I can be that good. I don't know if I can, and all these things. And it was, just as you were saying, I'd achieved a certain amount, but I kind of almost didn't believe that I deserved it somehow. I, it, it's, exactly. it's almost like things were going on without my control. And okay. yeah, it, it panicked me. So I'm going to go into a little education and, and coaching mode. One of the beliefs that most people have, like probably 90% of the population, I'd say at least in the Western culture, is that work has to be hard. If something is too easy, we obviously can't get paid for it. I mean, even turn on any TV station, news broadcast, hear a financial guy, they talk about hard work. Yet, when you talk to very, very successful people, they find that they love their work and they don't even take vacations because their work is a vacation. I've looked for a different word for work to describe what I do. I call it my playground because work has that archetype of hard and difficult. And if you're doing something that you're naturally good at, well, then... That can't possibly be. So these ideas are, I call it the collective consciousness. This is not yours alone. This is in the mindset, if you will, imprinted on the mind of humanity. Hard work. You've got to struggle. Life is difficult. Then you die. I've got to do a job I hate in order to make money. So we don't have money and success in the collective consciousness wrapped up with doing what we're good and natural at. And gosh, it's too easy. I go through that for myself. What I do is natural for me. It's too easy. Um, can I really charge the people this amount of money? It has to do with my belief about my value and worth and also the collective consciousness about hard work. That's one piece. You've said so much in what you've done and I want to go into a few more items. And this is something that maybe you want to take to heart, David, because I know that I, t I have to work with it as well. And it's one of my Marilynisms. Marilynisms, I call them wallet wisdoms, is that most of us live our lives as a problem to solve rather than a vision to be realized. Let me repeat that. We live our lives as a problem to solve rather than a vision to be realized. So the woman that wants to start her own business, her problem is now that I want to start my own business. She doesn't have clarity onto her vision. I would say for you, you're just in the formation of what's possible for you with this show. But the belief about hard work is what motivates the critic to tell you you're not doing it better, you're not doing it good enough, it'll never work. Because you're leaving all that behind in doing something that you love and what you do naturally. So you are really experiencing at a very deep level just one of the negative beliefs we have about money imprinted by our society. And 
I'm going to continue if you don't mind. <laughs> no, you go. You go for it. <laughs> the three reasons, there's three reasons that I've dis- discerned in my non-scientific studies that people fear success. One of them is, believe it or not, when we talk to other people, typically if you go to the pub, you will hear people talk about their problems. They don't talk about their successes. They talk about their complaints. So, one of the things I ask people to do is to have a new conversation. What are you going to talk about if things were working well? If your show was making a significant amount of money or whatever you would like it to do or wherever it would like to be or and had double the amount of listeners, what would you be talking about? So, we have to leave leave the drama, the attachment to our drama behind. And for some people, and this is number two, their entire self-image is defined by who they are, not who they think they might be. So, if I'm not in a miserable job that I hate and I've started the business and it's successful, who I think I am changes my story about myself, my Marilyn August story about the poor little match girl who's just never had enough money for anything. In order for me to transition that, I have to stop that story. And that might be having conversations with people that are uncomfortable. And so, we really have to redefine who we are And the third reason is, do I really want to go inside and take a look at what's holding me back? Am I willing to transform and get the help I need and make the investment I need to take care of my blocks and barriers? I'd rather be in my story. It's been around a very, very long time. It's a very good drama. The woe is me, poor Marilyn, I don't have enough. And this is why a lot of spiritual practices teach gratitude. Because when you're looking at with gratitude on what you do have, you're beginning to shift the conversation from a fear of success to a fear to an empowerment, to an embracing of life. So one of the things you and I have in common is we live a lifestyle that we like to live. We have control of our own time. I take that for granted now. I very rarely assume that that's, you know, way up on Maslow's hierarchies of need as I control my own time. I have flexibility. I think everybody does because I have it rather than, and this is telling myself, being grateful for that. Being grateful for the opportunity, for the possibility. I wouldn't be talking to you today if I was doing some job that I hated. Does that make sense to you? It, it makes total sense. And I was sitting there sort of thinking about myself because I don't think I have a story. You know, I, I think I had a maybe two months of a woe is me which really sort mm-hmm. of forced me to where I am. But I, I've just, I've had a lovely life all the way through my life. I can't think of any bad times. And my wife sort of laughs at that. And she says, yeah, there's no darkness in your life at all. And it, there's not. So I don't really know what I was 
striving against or trying to find but I just felt it inside me you know I told you the story just before we started recording Mm -hmm. about the chap who was yesterday's episode and how powerful that was his internal belief that he just knew that there was something out there and he was not willing to give it up and I've always felt that I've always felt that there was something Mm -hmm. bigger for me, but I just didn't know what it what it was. So I don't know if I, you know, I had a story. I don't know if I was fighting against anything. I don't know if I'm scared of success now. I think it was just that moment back Mm -hmm. in the day when the struggle of getting it going suddenly took off. And I don't think I'd moved on from my mindset of how to get something going to how to make it a proper show. I think that's where I was sort of trapped in that bit there. Does that make sense? That makes all the sense world. And is it okay for you to have it be easy? Oh, well, yes, now. I'd love it to be easy. <laughs> I'd be sitting here in my underwear, um, just swanning up and having these conversations. <laughs> yeah, I'd love that. Okay, so you that's what I mean about that belief, about it being easy. And that's why we don't do video, Marilyn. I, I wouldn't want that <laughs> image for you. <laughs> Maybe I'm you glad want, you don't do video. Uh, yeah. Oh, oh, I thought you could have gone the other way and said, damn. <laughs> no, I'm delighted you don't do video. I think video distracts people from really listening like they are to this broadcast. So the collective consciousness of work has to be hard is something you've transitioned. You've, you've tra- you have transformation on. Uh, yeah, I, I I believe that it doesn't have to be hard. I still believe that I'm trapped in the unwilling to hand things over. But that's that's the kind of mindset that I'm trying to battle at at the moment. When I started the show, I've done every single thing. It's a seven day a week show. It's just me. And I've, I've just realized over the last couple of weeks that something's got to give and I've got to hand things over. And you would think, funnily enough, you would think, yeah, a lot of that stuff, brilliant, just hand it over. But there's something kind of holding me back even on that. And I'm having to work through that, even, you know, sending emails out and booking guests in and all that kind of stuff. It's lunacy. It's lunacy while we do it for ourselves. Well, the other piece about this is there is some wisdom. You don't want to hand it over to just anybody. I've gone through quite a few people in handing it over and been quite disappointed. I, I, I advise clients to not hand over the main function of what they do, but to hand over the easy routine administrative functions that they can't, that, and only those, and in your case, you probably need just a virtual assistant for a very short period of time. But yes, letting go of your baby on doing a seven-day-a-week show some support, but really figure it out. Take a look at what's routine, what's doesn't matter if it isn't done 100% right, and what are you willing to spend to get that done. So I don't I think there's some wisdom there, David. I know you don't like hearing compliments, but there there's there's an intuitive, I think we all have it when we're when we're conflicted about something. There's probably some intuitive wisdom there. Oh, I, I think it's sense. weird, actually. I love compliments. I just don't kind of believe them. You know, I, <laughs> I, I would love to open my email box and a, a tsunami of glowing emails coming my way. That'd be marvellous. But you, you just you just kind of don't feel that you're giving enough back. You know, it, 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 it's tied up to what you say. 
I think I'm trapped what, in what that would, it, it's got to be hard. Because yeah. it's so yeah, easy, it's where's the I value? Think that's what you're, I think that's what you're working through, is it's got to be hard. And if you do it naturally. Because for most people, work is separated from their life. When you do your life's work, it's not separated. And maybe you using the words that I do, uh, when I get to work with my clients, that's my playground. I love it. I love talking to you. And so maybe instead of having the show be your work, you have it be your playground. That might lighten it. Words have power. It certainly is my playground, I tell you. Just just the fact mm-hmm. that the lovely Tara, I'm still looking at her lovely picture in front of me, and, and mm-hmm. but she will send me those things. Just, just get, getting back to her is because she she's kind of doesn't exactly know what it is that she wants to do, is the, is the quick route really to join up with entrepreneurial networks, Facebook groups, and start surrounding herself with like-minded people? Would that be a good thing to suggest to her? Well, I think if you had a community, it would be a great thing for you to, for her to join up with. Uh, I'm not 100% sure, I don't know enough about her, if that's what she would be a beneficial for her. I'm finding that a lot of those groups are, are, are valuable and a lot of them aren't. Perhaps a mastermind group. I mean, my mind's now creating for you right here as we're speaking possibilities for people to stay connected with you in a community and share themselves. But this is something she's going to either do herself or she's going to have someone facilitate her through this process. I would not recommend she leave her full-time job until she is crystal clear and has some some plan and some sense of what she wants to do. Uh, I just, and I, and I want to say this very clearly, I have a, uh, my dog has a doggy friend. And the doggy friend's owner was talking to me about starting his own business. And because he doesn't like his job, he's working the night shift, and he doesn't want to work for the man. And I said, what's your motivation starting your own business? I don't want my I hate my job. I, I you know, I don't want to work third shift. I want my own business. I want control of my own life. Well, what he doesn't realize is that he won't have control of his own life when he starts. And he may need to make some sacrifices when he starts. And he has an idea in his head that would have cost him a whole bunch of money to start. And I said to him, why don't you do some investigation? Why don't you find out what other people are doing? Why don't you learn, make some money on eBay? I have another former client who has a full-time job and he makes a couple thousand dollars on eBay. And there's no risk there. So if you just want to leave your job, start a business to start to leave a job that you don't like, I really think that some exploration is necessary personally and and to think that life is going to be just a basket of joy and happiness there's going to be risks there's going to be those days you wonder what am I crazy and I think it's very hard to do if you don't have some counseling and mentoring I agree with you I think I think it's vitally important to surround yourself and and find somebody who's been there before you and can mm-hmm. can fast track is is a way of fast tracking, right. isn't it? I was very fortunate Absolutely. when I started this. I connected with a lot of like minded um, individuals. Some of them were ahead of the game, and some of them mm-hmm. were really ahead of the game. And I've mm-hmm. had moments since I've been doing this that I have actually been asked to go on the shows of the people that inspired <laughs> me to do it. 
and right. that, that that was like I was closing off a section and I was getting the recognition and I was ready to move on to the next bit I wasn't looking up to these guys as as something to to fight against it was they, they, they were now part of my team and now I've surrounded myself with that team it is easier to do stuff and if you I've got a query. If you've got a problem, you can you can connect across the globe, can't you? And you can find the answers yes. out. So she may want to find a mastermind group of people that want to leave their corporate careers. And when a mastermind group has the same intention, it powerful things happen. Powerful things. So there might be on LinkedIn something you know, start your own business groups or startups and she could join something like that pick and choose be very careful what she spends her time with a lot of mastermind groups are so diverse that it wouldn't be in her benefit but there might be a group in on linkedin that is for people that want to start their own business and also depending where she is what country she's in there's a lot of free resources for entrepreneurship uh, that she can look at she she's in your lovely country she's up in connecticut Oh, well, then she can look um, at the Small Business Development Center, this SBA would be very, uh, I worked for a Small Business Development Center for, here in California for a while, and they are in business to help entrepreneurs. Do you know what and I'm going to do, Marilyn? I'm going to send her this episode before it, it's released. Mm-hmm. It's not going out Great. till the, the 12th of November, but um, she, she's going to get that by this evening to, to give us something okay, to work great. on. And I'll point her in the right direction. Absolutely. There we go. We're, we're starting to change people's lives. That's what this show is all about. I, I want to bring in the words of somebody that literally has changed my life and he's changed the lives of so many people. And it's the theme of the show. And I'm always fascinated to see how relevant they are to my guests. So these are the words of Steve Jobs. Of course, it was impossible to connect the dots looking forward when I was in college. But it was very, very clear looking backwards 10 years later. Again, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. You have to trust in something, your gut, destiny, life, karma, whatever. Because believing that the dots will connect down the road will give you the confidence to follow your heart even when it leads you off the well-worn path. And that will make all the difference. Relevant to you, Marilyn? Absolutely. Absolutely. Even today. Even today. Uh, he, he, that is profound. That's what, I, that's what I say. Grow yourself. Grow your business. Trust, faith, karma, belief. Belief in what you're doing. Belief in the future. If we turn on the news today, you're going to go, oh my God. No. In fact... It, it, it can be very scary and dismal to say, what am I doing starting a new business? The whole world's going, you know. But the belief in the future is, is absolutely the optimistic uh, that he had, the optimistic. He didn't know he would be Steve Jobs when he started this. And, and unfortunately, academia today, even today, doesn't encourage this kind of thinking. As far as I know, I haven't been around academia but it is impossible to connect the dots when, when you take that leap of faith. You knew that, I knew that, but I do know that we look backwards for our gifts and our talents and our contribution, and then we take this leap of faith. Because I certainly didn't think 
that I'd be doing what I'm doing today. I would, <laughs> me? Are you kidding? Not at all. I didn't have an entrepreneurial bone in my body when I started this. <laughs> and so, yes, he is, is profound. I, I love the fact that you didn't know what you were going to do because it it kind of opens up the world of possibilities, doesn't it? Where where people are yes. sitting there and they kind of think, yeah, I've got to have that answer. I've got to know what it is. And I think most people are like that. I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. You didn't know what you wanted to do. You just do a load of stuff and then something happens and you find something. And I think if, you, if you're too prescriptive to what you mm-hmm. want to do, I think you don't find the essence of what you should be doing. I think that's very true. And, but I do know, and I think you know this too, I did know and I do know what I wanted to bring forward, forth. I do, did know what was important to me, what I could contribute. And I did have the background. I didn't go into something that was totally different uh, than my background, uh, doing seminars, facilitating people. Yes, I had to learn the art and the skill of doing uh, open-ended programs where you didn't know what was going to come on the floor, which I found I had a gift and a talent for doing and for supporting people. I didn't know that when I started. I just know that I had a passion for helping myself and helping others to transform their relationship with money. And That's aren't we glad? Need. Aren't we glad that you found that? Because that, that is a stumbling block for everyone, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> Yes, and it's not as left brain as people think it is. It's a very emotional subject. It's another whole interview that we didn't get to. Uh, it's a very emotional thing. Money's very emotional, and it's the last great taboo. Well, how about you come back on again and you share that one? I would love to. Well, let's have I you back you, on. I enjoy you, David. Thank you so much. I really enjoy you. So, so what I want to do is just close the show with the part of the show that we call the Sermon on the Mic. And this is the point where we send you back in time to have a one-on-one with your younger self. And if you could go back in time to speak to young Marilyn, what advice would you give? And what age would you choose as well? Well, we're going to find out because we're going to play the theme tune. And when it fades, you're up. This is the Sermon on the Mic. With the best bit of the show The Sermon on the Mic The Sermon on the Mic Well, little Marilyn, it's been a lot of years. A lot has happened since you stuck your hands through that window the one day in your life that you played hooky from school and nobody was home and you were there alone and you tried to get that window open and sure enough you stuck your fingers through that window and you were bleeding and you knew enough to run around the corner to neighbor's house whose mom was home because your mom was working and she took you to the hospital to get stitches. I can still see the scar on my thumb today where I put my hand through the window and she took you because there was nobody there for you there was no literally nobody home and you were such a good kid and I remember how scared we were to call mom to tell her what had happened 
and you were there alone and thought you were a bad girl because you played hooky and never thought for a moment that an eight-year-old child being home alone wasn't such a great thing for you. But you had the courage and the tenacity to go across the street and find that neighbor and get yourself taken care of. So what I really want to say to you is it wasn't your fault. It wasn't your fault that you were ignored and neglected. And it wasn't your fault that you were that they were yelling and screaming and angry about money. It wasn't your fault that there wasn't enough money. That your mom was always so stressed and upset and there was really nobody there for you. Nobody to talk to. They never had time for you and it wasn't your fault. You did what they tried to make you do. You're such a good girl. And I know you married and you've beaten yourself up for marrying that man so many times. But little Marilyn, that's how you thought money was generated. That's how you thought and were taught that you'd be safe and secure. So you were alone and it wasn't your fault you married him. He made promises that he didn't keep. So little Marilyn, there was no way you could have known what you didn't know. There was no way that you could have known that what you were living wasn't natural and normal. That being alone, being ignored, thinking that you were the problem, that wasn't normal. That you actually had the courage to do what you needed to do to survive. And I believe that you are knew that all those years ago that it wasn't your fault even though you believed that you were the problem you're not a problem you're a passionate courageous determined and very smart woman you're a woman that has overcome so much, moving cross-country by yourself, borrowing clothes in college because you didn't have enough, they didn't buy you clothes, wanting more than anything else to be loved. There's nothing wrong with that, Marilyn. So as far as back as we can remember, we've had to do it on our own. Nobody there for you, nobody to encourage you, no words of wisdom from either parent. All you were told is you had to get an education, and I do bless them for that. But it wasn't your fault that they always argued about money, that mom made every purchase a major big deal that you were scared most of the time, even when you were a little kid. I didn't remember that. You were scared most of the time. You were scared of doing the wrong thing, saying the wrong thing, costing them too much money, and oh my God, you needed braces. And what a sacrifice that was. And I want you to know, little Marilyn, 
that all this made you a stronger person, that all this made you who you are today, and there was no other choice but for you to lead the life that you've led, and you are still being courageous and healing and breaking through and helping people and being real for everyone. So I want to give you that love and support that you were never given as a little kid. And know that living your life in fear and struggle is not what you were intended for. And that you are here to leave this earth a better place than you found it. And there is no choice. This is beyond choice. So stop it. Stop beating yourself up that you should have done something else. Or you should have mar- <laughs> married the right guy or that you're a bad person. You're not a bad person. You were a good little girl and you're a good person today. And we will continue on this journey to the day I die, to the day we die. <laughs> And I think that's all I want to say to little Marilyn is really wasn't your fault. Marilyn, how can our audience connect with you? Um, Just a minute, David. They can connect with me through my email. The easiest one is info at MarilynAugust.com. That's M-A-R-I-L-Y-N, last name August, like the month, A-U-G-U-S-T, dot com. Uh, they can connect with me on LinkedIn. I think you have all the links. We will have all the links on our show notes. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Marilyn, thank you so much for spending time with us today, joining up those dots. And thank you for just opening your heart and being so warm and and sharing and really putting yourself out there. And uh, as I said, please come back again when you have more dots to join up because I'd love to have you back on the show because I do believe that by joining up those dots and connecting our past... (laughs) is the best way to build our futures. Marilyn August, thank you so much. And thank you very much, David. David doesn't want you to become a faded version of the brilliant self you were once to become. So he's put together... Thanks for listening to today's episode of Join Up Dots, brought to you exclusively by podcastersmastery.com. The only resource that shows you how to create a show, build an income, and still have time for the life that you love. Check out podcastersmastery.com now. David doesn't want you to become a faded version of the brilliant self you were once to become. So he's put together an amazing guide for you called the eight pieces of advice that every successful entrepreneur practices, including the two that changed his life. Head over to joinupdots.com to download this amazing guide for free, and we'll see you tomorrow on Join Up Dots. 